Hey, this is Josephine. Welcome to the This I Can Do podcast. It's a podcast that helps you understand how to start making a difference in the world around you. I am your host and I am coming to you from Düsseldorf, Germany. My thing is... I totally enjoy supporting, building, and making sure that people who are doing amazing things in the world around them have a chance to tell people about that. And I am fascinated by people and the spaces that they work in. And more than that, I want to make sure that you and I have a chance to think about, okay, this person started this idea made the world a better place, left the world a better place. What can I actually do? One of the biggest people who inspired me beyond, you know, just beyond is Wangari Muta Mathai. She is a Nobel Prize winner who left us a few years ago. She passed on. And what she did was, her little thing was planting trees. So she would plant trees and make sure that other people planted trees too. And she said that, Everyone can do one little thing. So my little thing is planting trees. And a lot of people look at what she's accomplished in her life and think, what can I do? And I want to help you think about what you can do. Take some of the examples I'll be talking about, run with them. And hopefully we might be able to hear live from some of the people who are doing things. And finally, be able to say this, I can do Uh, This is how I can start doing it and possibly have a few laughs and a lot of fun doing it. So I'm looking forward to sharing with you and this will be coming to you regularly. All right, take care folks and have a listen. Okay, so to kick off this first first podcast, I have to say one of the places in the entire world that I have traveled to has been um, amazingly impactful, has been the David Sheldrake Wildlife Trust uh, Elephant Orphanage in Nairobi, Kenya. So when you get to Nairobi, one of the first things you do is you're pointed towards the Nairobi National Park and beyond the National Park on the other side, um, on Langata Road, you just keep driving on towards Karen um, and near Multimedia University. For those who know Nairobi, uh, you can identify with this. You will find a small road leading into the National Park and at 11 a.m., I think that's the same time every day, there is a feeding time for the elephants. And this is uh, an occasion. We took some friends who are visiting Nairobi for the first time to visit these elephants. And the thing that struck me when we arrived is just the sheer numbers of people who are there to visit the elephants. And for a first timer and somebody who really enjoys an excursion, I was like, okay, it's going to be great. You know, this is amazing. I've heard about it so much from friends, from family. But when those baby elephants came out to play, my friend, it was like discovering a part of the world that you never knew existed. The staff bring them out to start with the little baby ones and then they have the little bit older ones. And maybe the the, the height is, I'm about, you know, 5'5", five, five, so maybe a little bit, a chin, chin height is the tallest of the elephants that we were next to. And at first, you know, you could 
just see them playing with each other, getting fed by bottle and and they just, you know, they spent some time telling us a little bit about it. And it it got us really really shook. We were like, how could we have not visited this place that's so near, that's so accessible, that's quite affordable and also so important towards um protecting and preserving the lives of these little elephants. And after that we our group left there and we were just amazed. First of all, just the fact that you can keep these amazing elephants alive. A lot of them have been abandoned or orphaned, um more more likely orphaned through the rampant trade in elephants that's been going on unfortunately for a long time. And they come to the trust you know, just needing to be cared for, needing to be fed, needing to be supported. And this costs a lot of money. So um, they've got quite a bit of effort going to raise money towards these elephants. And when we left there, I went and did a little bit of research because I had no idea and found out the incredible story of uh, David Sheldrick and his wife, Daphne Sheldrick. So today... I decided, you know what, I need to talk about this because Dame Daphne Sheldrick and her family started the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in order to support these elephants that were coming to them through the national park. So if you haven't already uh, had a chance to think through the whole process of, you know, just getting... If you if you if you ever had a chance to you know be away from your parents for a short period of time elephants are amazing they just they're really smart and they feel things the you know in many of the ways that we feel things and you know I looked up the trust and found out that the fact that we we don't really think about elephants on a day-to-day basis in our cities and towns and only think about them when we think about conservation efforts it's really sad i mean and if we're thinking about it um we need to do a little bit more so i started to think what if i could interview uh dame daphne sheldrick that would be amazing um she wrote a book um called love life and elephants an african love story in 2012 and she wrote something that really struck me she says we need another wiser and perhaps more mystical concept of animals in a world older and more complete than ours they move finished and complete gifted with extensions of the senses we have lost or never attained living by voices we shall never hear they are not brethren they are not underlings they are other nations caught with ourselves in the net of life and time fellow prisoners of the splendor and travail of earth man um in 2006 she was appointed uh and given one of the highest honors which is the dame of the british empire for her work in conservation in doctorate of veterinary medicine and surgery from glasgow university her her four pair her forefathers were from scotland incidentally that 
uh, ended up connecting Glasgow with Africa and she also received the BBC's Lifetime Achievement Award and a lot of people now know that between 1955 and 1976 she was together with her husband uh, co-warden of Kenya's Savo National Park and Savo National Park is you know this home of the lions home of the elephants home of some of the most amazing terrain in Kenya and it's a huge national park which you can see if you're driving from between Nairobi and Mombasa if you're taking the train you, the train is alongside the national park and you know just having Dame Daphne as one of the first people to have successfully hand-reared newborn elephants in rec- you know that's recorded and have her create this global movement you know how how do how does how does this even happen so one of the things i thought of is what can you do today to support these elephants one get on a plane or a train or a bus or a matatu if you're in nairobi and go over to the elephant orphanage and visit and check them out if you're not able to do that you have to check out their Instagram. Like DSWT on Instagram, you'll join 440,000 other people who get to meet some of the elephants and a few other animals, some giraffes and some, and just the stories behind uh, what they're doing. And um, you can click through and, you know, go through to the David Sheldick Wildlife Trust. It is an award that is an environmental prize given to grassroots environmental leaders from around the world six of the world's inhabited continental regions so africa asia europe island and island nations north america and south and central america and i was blown away by some of their stories as were the jury and uh, the world now knows more about the work that some of these folks are doing The first way that I came across is focus on telling stories. So Claire Nouvian is uh, from France and she was an investigative journalism who, you know, a practitioner that is, an investigative journalist who made the switch from journalism to activism. So in the course of her work, she came across a practice that was basically decimating the the bottom of the sea. So she came across the practice of deep sea bottom trawling. And for those who don't know what that is, it's when deep sea bottom trawlers, big, 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 big fishing boats, drag heavy nets with steel doors and roller gear across the ocean floor. This decimates ancient coral, mussel colonies, sponges, sea worms, and many of the species that live long and breed too slowly to replenish their numbers. So this technique of fishing has been compared to the clear cutting of forests. So it's as terrible as deforestation because these heavy steel doors, some of which weigh several tons, um, they're, they're marketed as canyon busters, meaning that they scrape the tops off of seamounts and rugged terrain. So when 
Ms. Novia discovered this practice in the course of her investigative journalism. She founded the Bloom Association in 2005 and began a campaign that recently resulted in a major policy shift by the European Union. And in its you know, release, these um, folks at the Goldman Environmental Prize tell us that Claire led a focused data-driven advocacy campaign against the destructive fishing practice of deep-sea bottom trawling, successfully pressuring French supermarket giant and fleet owner Intermarché to change its fishing practices. Her coalition of advocates, Bloom Association, ultimately secured French support for a ban on deep-sea bottom trawling that also led to an EU-wide ban. So one thing, um, is that you are exactly where you need to be to start making a change professionally. She was a journalist. She found a story that was too compelling to ignore and then decided to take action. And action involves take, linking these environmental practices to the table, to the consumers, and making people aware of the data behind this and the impact of these practices. Second person that I came across is Hang Hui Thi, who's from Vietnam. And she's a scientist who used scientific research and engaged Vietnamese state agencies to advocate for sustainable long-term energy projections in Vietnam. And now uh, the countries that are focusing on coal right now need to be hearing that. Her research highlighted the cost and environmental impacts of coal power. Then she partnered with state officials to reduce coal dependency and move towards a greener energy future. My friends in science, um, we need to translate your findings into a language that policymakers can get behind. You also need to build partnerships that help this research and these policy thinkings go into practice. Hmm? That's important. The third story I came across is using the legal system. In South Africa, Makoma Lekalakala and Liz McDade built a broad coalition of other partners to stop the South African government, the South African government's massive secret nuclear deal with Russia. On April 26, 2017, the High Court of South Africa ruled that the $76 billion nuclear power project was unconstitutional. Now, this was a landmark legal victory that protected South Africa from an unprecedented expansion of the nuclear industry and production of radioactive waste so the legal system doesn't inspire confidence a lot of times but it can be used to send a massive signal and you can be part of that okay Another gentleman, Manny Calonso of the Philippines, spearheaded an advocacy campaign that persuaded the Philippine government to enact a national ban on the production, use, and sale of lead paint. Now, for those of you who don't know what lead paint does, lead paint 
Lead is a toxic metal and its use is extremely widespread in petrol, paint, plan, plumbing and solder. So when these lead materials are close to you, it's, it's kind of a cumulative toxicant. So over time, it's poisoning you. It affects multiple body systems, including the neurologic, hematologic, gastrointestinal, cardiovascular, and renal systems. And children are particularly vulnerable to the neurotoxic effects of lead. This is according to the World Health Organization. And even really low levels of exposure can cause serious and in some cases irreversible neurological damage. So what Manny Calonzo did is he then developed, he led the development of a third-party certification program to ensure that paint manufacturers meet this standard. And as of 2017, 85% of the paint market in the Philippines has been certified as lead safe. This is huge, people. It's replicable and you can actually see where advocacy can lead to even just saying i want to know where the paint in my house comes from i want to know the paint i'm buying i know i want to know who's painted at my child's school or at my workplace that's really really important to note across the world leanne walters of the united states led a citizens movement that tested the tap water in flint michigan and expose the Flint water crisis. The Guardian reports that this week, um, this week will be four years since the calamity of Flint, Michigan, switching its water source. And this was a crisis, and it is still a crisis, that you know has not necessarily been addressed because you know people have been exposed to lead in their water when the emergency water manager switched the drinking water source from Lake Huron to the Flint River. Now, corrosion control chemicals were not applied to the water system, allowing lead from pipes and joints and fixtures to seep into the water supply. Residents began to complain of discolored liquid tumbling from taps and children's blood lead levels began to spike. Lead exposure is actually linked to significant developmental and behavioral problems in children. And the Flint contamination is also blamed for an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease, which caused 12 people to die um, in the area in 2014 and 2015. So far, nobody has actually been convicted of any crime. Um, some charges have been brought. But the work that Leanne and her colleagues did uh, the results showed that one in six homes that had lead levels in the water that exceeded the EPA's safety, safety threshold. And Leanne Walters and her colleagues' persistence compelled the U.S. government to take action and start to ensure that the residents of Flint have access to clean water. Uh, and that's an ongoing crisis because... People are, you know, this, the, the governor declared a state of emergency for Flint in January 2016. And uh, this, this is an ongoing issue. Last but not least, I came across the story of Francia Marquez. 
Now, Francia has been a leader of the Afro-Colombian community in Colombia since she was 13 years old. And she became an environmental activist when she represented the victims at peace talks between the government and the now demobilized FARC guerrillas. She addressed the issue of climate change in her speech. She said, we must come together to take the necessary actions to stop global warming. And her action was to do with illegal mining. So illegal mining is significant within Colombia. And it's estimated that about 50% of the country's mines are illegal. So, you know, there's a lot of profit to be made in the illegal mining industry. And it's extremely dangerous to oppose these um, illegal miners. So uh, Ms. Marquez said that we constantly receive death threats from militias, leaders, organizations, and communities. And so she has been struggling for a long time since this work began. And she's she was awarded this prize because she organized the women of Latoma and stopped illegal gold mining on their ancestral land. She exerted steady pressure on the Colombian government and she spearheaded a 10-day, 350-mile march of 80 women to the nation's capital, resulting in the removal of all illegal miners and equipment from her community. Well done to these folks. Thank you for teaching us. We, we owe you everything. We can't pay you in currency, but we really appreciate it. You can read a little more about this year's Goldman Prize winners and past winners on the Goldman Prize website. And it's just, I mean, there are examples upon examples. And these stories definitely remind me of Erin Brockovich, one of the most famous movies that I've seen several times about how Erin's exhaustive investigation uncovered that Pacific Gas and Electric had been poisoning the small town of Hinkley's water for over 30 years. So it was Erin's, you know, tenacity that PG&E had been exposed for leaking toxic chromium-6 into the groundwater, and this poison affected the health of the population of Hinkley. In 1996, as a result of this large direct action lawsuit, the utility giant was forced to pay out the largest toxic tort injury settlement in U.S. history. That was $333 million in damages to more than 600 Hinkley residents. So a lot of people know about Erin Brockovich, but they may not necessarily know about you. They may not ever know about you, but doesn't excuse you and I from the responsibility of taking action in one way or another. So what are you going to do? Jump up off your seat, finish that cocoa, that coffee. Take action where you are. Become available, sign up for direct action in terms of signing your name to protests about the environment. Start planting trees like Wangari Maathai. Think about fostering an elephant and caring for elephants like Dame Daphne Sheldrake. Go in and look at whether you're in a position to affect a legal judgment that's coming about that could potentially save your country's resources. If you're if you have access to scientific data and research, do the research. 
help communicate that research into findings that the public can digest. If you are in a position to tell stories, if you're in a position to support uh, journalists who tell these kinds of stories and expose what's going on in the world, make that move. If you have a chance to affect the health of the people living around you by preventing lead poisoning or being able to fight against illegal mining activities that could decimate ancestral land and the earth around us, there's something that you can do that is unique to you that is going to spread this message further out. We... We, we, we just have that in mind. So it's been an absolute pre- pleasure presenting this first episode of this podcast. You can find me on Facebook, on, um, on Facebook, on Instagram as um, This I Can Do. And you can actually like the pages, share out this podcast, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode to come up in the next couple of weeks that will actually tell us what the next one thing you can do is. And I'm looking forward to sharing this moment with you. You can um, follow me here on SoundCloud and like and share uh, with your colleagues and people in the spaces that you influence. And thank you for listening. I am your host, Josephine, and have a fan-fantastic day wherever you are listening from. Take care.